And welcome into the next state of mind podcast. Here, I'm Akastil, I'm Chip Murphy, and we're already laughing because we kind of already did this for about 20 minutes now. We've been doing a podcast and we're doing great. I mean, we're freaking nailing out content, having a blast. Neither one of us recorded, so we're just talking, we're just having a conversation, having fun with it. Uh, we're about halfway through it, and then we said, Um, we're not recording. So we'll do this again. Hey, all right. I had fun with it. Let's do it again. Uh, and the reason why we're having fun about it is, man, we're talking about meaningful basketball, right? I mean, it has been eight years since the New York Knicks have been in the postseason. And now the Knicks are not only back in it, but hosting a first round match or having home court advantage in the first round matchup being the four seed in the Eastern Conference. And that's the first thing that we talked about here. Before we get into the game, before we talk about how everything broke down in game one, let's just simply talk about the Knicks are back into the postseason. And we are watching meaningful basketball once again. And, you know, before the game, you're obviously excited. You're ready to go. We had a week off of not watching Nick games here. And, you know, the, just the excitement of getting ready to watch the game. But then once the, the coverage comes on, they enter the garden. It's like 15,000 people there, but you would have thought 100,000 people were in that arena. Just the electricity, the feeling, the vibe. I mean, you can't – if you didn't have goosebumps getting ready for that game, I don't know what's wrong with you because that place was ready to go. It was rocking. And, Chip, you were talking about it uh, before. Uh, you know, just the excitement and how it felt different, right? Well, we talked about how fun 2013 was, but it seems that game one was at a totally different level uh, of excitement and with less fans. The place was going crazy. So, Chip, talk about all that again uh, from your standpoint. My standpoint, I was just pumped up, ready to go. I'm pretty sure I lost my voice after the first quarter, just uh, I just it was unbelievable. I can't wait for game two. But Chip, talk about what you felt going into game one. Yeah, take two. We'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> no, what? Look, just being back in the playoffs is amazing. Obviously, as a fan, it was just so much fun. And like we were saying before, like just the I, I never get uh, super excited during games. Like, never, like, scream or yell or any of that shit. But when Obi Toppin was going off during uh, during the game, I was, like, I was screaming and yelling and shit. Like, how can you not be excited for that kid? I was so pumped for him. I was psyched for quickly, too, obviously. But Toppin, I was like, oh, my God. Does anyone need this more than Obi Toppin? I was just thrilled for him, and it was just fun to see that whole crowd there too. But just being back in the playoffs was amazing, obviously. But you brought up 2012-13, and as much as I love Mello, there was no moment in the Mello era that compared to this one. Mm-hmm. I don't think there really was. Like 
that 2012-13 team, I love J.R. Smith. I love Mello. I, I don't really remember that playoff run very well. <laughs> Like, I remember losing to the Pacers. That's what I remember from that playoff run. I don't remember many positives. I'm going to remember this playoff run positively, no matter how this Hawks series ends up. You know what I mean? So, yeah, this is maybe the best Knicks season that I've ever witnessed in my fandom. (laughs) Like, And the season isn't over yet. So it's been amazing, man. Like, couldn't ask for more. And that's the thing is that made it so exciting going into it because all I keep thinking about was at the beginning of this season and we did our predictions and I think I had the Knicks. I think I settled on like 21 wins, but I remember saying it would not shock me though to see this team only win 16, 17 games this year. Like I thought that was a strong possibility and these, this freaking team wins 41 damn games. I mean, just – and anybody that, you know, is – I mean, you just got to enjoy this. There was no expectations for this team at all, and they just – they put it together this year. It was so much freaking fun to watch this team. So not even going into what happens in game one yet, but we talked about it before, Chip, you know, uh, Julius Randle getting – the most improved before the game that created that excitement before it. His son uh, presented him uh, with, with that honor. And just, I mean, it just felt like this whole season was a dream. Uh, I mean, you know, we felt like this was coming over the last couple, you know, at least the least couple of the last couple off seasons. I think the general output for this is that we're doing things and really this summer, we're doing things that are pushing this team in the right direction. And, and it's the first time in a while any of us have said that on doing this show. Me, you, Danny. We, we never really talked much about positives because there was no damn positives. And we sat here and we said, you know what, I think this team's doing things smart for the first time in a while. And with that being said, none of us thought this team was going to win 41 games this year. And here they are hosting or home court advantage, I should say, in the first round as a fourth seed in the Eastern Conference. It's just unbelievable, and it's a lot of fun. Now we jump into the game here, and we kind of were having this conversation before, and I want to say this and make a point that I'm not blaming the referees for the loss of this game sold, okay? The Knicks did not play well enough to win this game at times, Uh, and one of the big things was that Julius Randle, did not have a great game. He was not efficient. You know, his post comments or post game comments after were, uh, "I'm not going to make an excuse. I didn't play well," and that 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 was hands down the case. R.J. Barrett was not efficient. Those are our one-two punch. We need those guys. We need them to be consistent. Uh, and it just just wasn't their night. You know, a lot of this is that it's their first time in the playoffs, right? Not having that experience sometimes. You know, you get presented with the most improved award. There's a lot of extra emotion. Sometimes you can't settle yourself down. I wonder if that's the case. I don't know. I'm not going to pretend to speculate like that's it. But sometimes that happens to athletes where uh, you just – you can't settle in right away. Now I think that's out of the way, and I look for both of them to have a much better game too here. Um, 
you know, I, as I was saying, I think Alex Burks is like Mr. Fourth Quarter. I'm just calling him that. We've got Mr. November with Derek Jeter and all that stuff. If we make a run here and, and Burks keeps doing what he's doing in the fourth quarter, he's going to be known as Mr. Fourth Quarter. Um, he was unbelievable, though, in, in game, uh, game one, our uh, leading scorer. Uh, hit some big shots down the stretch here. Um, but, again, the Knicks didn't do everything they needed to do to win this game, and they deserve a lot of the blame here for falling in game one. Um, so when I say this, it's not just one thing here, simply blaming the referees. But, Chip, I did not like the way the game, the first three quarters – both sides, they weren't getting calls. They were letting things go. It was physical play. That's how this series is going to be, by the way. And nobody was getting to the foul line, right? You know, the Knicks got to the line 15 times total for the game and missed four of them. Two-point game. Got to hit your free throws. Missed free throws will hurt you. They'll bite you in the butt. They did here once again. But the point is, first three quarters, fouls were not being called. Fourth quarter, tight game, key moments. The ticky-tacky, just subtle bumps were being called. And Trey Young was getting everything down the stretch. Anytime somebody looked at him, I felt like that whistle was blowing. And it was frustrating because it wasn't that way in the first three quarters. He did not get those calls. And then, you know, I talk about the R.J. Barrett, the one-on-one down, I think it was the final minute of the game. Yeah. If you look at the replay, Barrett is touching them. Technically, I guess that is a foul. But they were not called for the first three. That was happening throughout the whole damn game on both sides. They haven't been called. And then all of a sudden, you change your officiating, getting a little whistle happy at the end. So, you know, that, that just it, – it aggravated the crap out of me. I thought it was a poor job by the officiating. You got to stay consistent throughout the whole game. Why would you change the way you were officiating that game in the fourth quarter and in the key spots is beyond me. And I, I and Chip, you we you know went through this before, but you were talking about it. Um, and something that I, I forgot to mention the first time we were talking about this. Uh, but you, you have the numbers. Trey Young didn't go to the free throw line one time in the first three quarters. No. What happens in the fourth quarter? How many times, Chip? Shot nine free throws in the fourth quarter, mid on nine. It's just, and it reminds me of, and, and Trey Young is somebody that gets to the line a lot, right? He's somebody that uh, I, I'm pretty sure led the league in free throw attempts this year. Made, led the rem- league in free throws made, yeah. Uh, free throws made, okay. So I knew it was one of those things. He gets to the line a lot. And a lot of that is that little ticky-tacky flopping, verbal flop, head snaps one way. Yeah, he know. plays the harden game, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Harden is somebody that gets that call as well. But we've seen in the playoffs, Harden doesn't get that call, and he's freaking out. And he's, you know, wondering why he's not. He's complaining to the officials. And we've seen that over the last several years. And I'm thinking, okay, it's, you know, playoffs, they're going to call it a little less tighter. They're going to let some things go. And they were the first three quarters. Then in the fourth quarter, you're going to start giving him calls and giving him nine free throw attempts. I don't know how they called that Barrett one. That, that was inexcusable. It was, it was so subtle. So subtle. It's kind of like in the NFL where a holding call. You can call holding on every single play if they wanted to. Every damn single play, you can call holding. I can promise you. You watch every play, you'll see somebody being grabbed. That's kind of what that called. 
it was so subtle, so subtle. And I also felt like Trey Young was leaning into him and flailing and everything else. And to bail him out right there, man, was just – it was. I thought it was a disgraceful job that the officiating did down the stretch for that game. And it clearly went one-sided. So, again, Knicks deserve some blame. They didn't do some things well. But at the end of the day – I just, I, it, it's frustrating to see that the game got changed like that in key moments in the game. And um, I'm hoping that's not the way the rest of this series goes. Uh, but uh, bailing out Trey Young, it's, it's, it's frustrating. Is it possible now, we underestimated the Hawks a little bit? Because these teams clearly are very evenly matched. They're very evenly matched. And, and I, I, I don't know if the, the Knicks went into it, you know, underestimating. Not the, no, I'm not talking about the down. Knicks underestimating them. I'm talking about, all of us fans who were like, give us the Hawks, give us the Hawks. We don't want anybody else. Give us the Hawks. I, th- I think so, yeah. When you go 3-0 and against them in the regular season, you go, oh, yeah, we match up with, with them mm-hmm. well. We can beat them well. But people got to understand, these games came down to the wire. I mean, they, they you know, we'll, we'll transition to this right here. That final possession is Trey Young getting a beeline to the basket, right? And – the point, and we'll talk about that possession here in a second. But the point is, you know, a couple of weeks ago when we're playing in the big regular season game against them where it was fourth place for grabs, you know, winner was going to take over sole possession of fourth place at that time. It's the same exact play, same exact shot that Trey Young got at the end of regulation. The difference was he missed it. It went they in run the same play the whole game. The Knicks couldn't yep. stop the same play the whole game. It's, the, it's just, yeah, it, it's, it's it went in and out Knicks go into overtime they win that game this game the ball drops so you know as we're talking about that the final possession I feel like and this is again somebody that isn't the biggest Frank guy I think anybody that's listened to this and listened to me I'm not somebody that's very high on Frank Nielakina but I feel like the criticism that he got in that final possession where people are singling, singling him out for they just let, he, he did get crossed up a little bit, no doubt. And Trey Young went right past him. But it's not just on Frank Nielakina there. If you're stuck on Frank Nielakina did such a bad job, he lost us the game with his terrible defense, all that, but you're dead wrong. I mean, yes, it wasn't the greatest on ball defense, but where's the help defense? Wasn't there. Nobody rotated over. Nobody made Trey Young give up the ball or pull up and shoot. And Chip, you were talking about this, uh, you know, when we were discussing some things. You, know, you have the numbers. You know, Trey Young pulling up is not the same shooter. He's actually more deadly when he's around the rim than shooting three. So, what were those numbers that you were talking about uh, with Trey Young? I think he's 33% on pull up three, something like that. I have to look it up to be exact, but uh, he, yeah, he's much more uh, deadly when he's attacking the rim on his, uh, with his floaters, when he's setting up other players. Like we were talking about Kevin Herter, Danilo Gallinari, DeAndre Hunter, uh, Bogdanovich. When he's attacking the rim and he's setting up other people uh, for three-point shots or when he's doing what he did against us in game one, with his floater, that's when he's at his best. Like when we were talking, I was saying he, when he 
steps when he pulls up and takes like a 28 footer i feel like that's a win for the knicks if he does something like that instead of attacking and taking a floater or driving and kicking it out into the corner to bogdanovich like that's much worse for us mm-hmm. than pulling up for a three i feel like or or driving and throwing a lob to capella you know right. those are that's his sweet spot and, i feel like too much is made of his three-point shooting i just don't and that's him, yeah and, and that's the thing the nick scouted they have that they know that you know and you would think they, they would be focusing on of getting either making somebody else beat them in that moment or making a pull up and shoot that basketball because if he floats it that's a high percentage shot for him that's his game that's really what his game people as you just pointed out think it's more the deep three ball and yeah he can hit a few and he's going to take a lot of them you know what i mean so yeah he's going to hit from time time uh from time to time because he takes a good bit of them but that's the shot that you rather see him take than the floater in the lane five six seven feet that is a high percentage shot for him so it's not just frank neil Aquino's fault in that and you were talking about it as as Tibbs, uh, you know, Chip uh, of he played him a minute, you know, and people go, well, that's an excuse. He's got to be ready. Have you ever played and sat the bench and get thrown in there cold? You're not moving as well. <laughs> you're not. You're not loose. You're not able to shift. You're not able to change directions quick. It's a tough task. Uh, to go in there and I know that's what Frank is supposed to be able to do he's a good defender Um, but still too much is being made simply just blaming Frank Nilakina in that moment Chip Uh, and I you know you you were talking about it as as Tibbs has probably got to play him a little bit more uh, than just throwing him out there in that situation if he wants him to be able to cover Trey Young effectively in that and I and I agree with that yeah, so it's now unfair. Was, it's unfair yeah. to ask Frank to do some to guard one of the best point guards in the NBA when he's cold, you know. And right. I looked at it, Trey Young's thirty three point five percent on pull up threes, okay. four point nine pull up three attempts per game. So he's yeah, he's below league, and he's below average three point shooter overall, thirty four point one percent on six point three attempts per game from three. So he's like I said, it's. You know, you want to – the three-point shot is preferential. But, no, I think it's asking a cold defender, any cold defender, even a great one like Frank, to come off the bench and defend one of the best guards in the NBA who's so deadly and who, like we were saying, Trey – it's not like Trey has never faced Frank before either. Like Frank knows we talk like, cause we know how good Frank is and we, we like Frank and we hype up his defense. Like all fans do. We hype him up maybe a little bit more than we should. And we're like, Oh, he's going to lock down Trey. Well, you really think that Trey hasn't thought about the fact that Frank has locked him down before. I'm sure he's registered that in his mind. He knows when Frank Nielakina comes in, he's like, Oh, that's the guy that's locked me down. So if Frank had been hot and had been in the game before, that would have been a different possession, I think. But he wasn't. He was just running off the bench to go guard one of the best point guards in the NBA. That's just not fair. And that's not, yeah. it's not a realistic possibility to expect him to be able to do something like that. That's why, like, I, I, I was surprised that Tibbs put him in the game, really. Like, that was really surprising. 
and again, it's and I've seen it all. Like, oh, he's supposed to be an on-ball defender. You know, it's him that had a breakdown. The whole team had a defensive breakdown. All five guys that were on the court, and Tibbs, you know, that that decision probably not the wisest in that. I know, I know. At the same time, I know that Frank is a defender, right? And I understand why he's putting him out there for defensive purposes at that point, and I get it. But it's not just one thing. Don't, it, it's not just Frank that broke down defensively in that series or, or in that sequence in that final seconds of the game. The, the team had a brain fart. Everybody. It's got to be better. It, it simply has to be better. And before we start looking at some of the things here for game two, you know, and I'll go over some of the things that I think and, and chip you as well. Uh, you know, game two. And obviously we're not the coaches. We're not pretending that we have the answers and all that. Just some things that we, we have seen and, um, you know, we feel are keys for, for game two here. Uh, but one of the things that we were touching on or we wanted to touch on, Chip, uh, is we're getting ready to talk about adjustments for game two. And one of the adjustments that fans have been screaming about for months now and this is one that I wasn't really on board with a couple of weeks ago or even, you know, a couple of months ago when it all started um, was the, the decision to keep Alfred Payton in the starting lineup. And the reason why at first I was like, you know what, he doesn't bother me starting because he's not finishing, right? And he's playing 18, 20 minutes. That's a good amount of minutes for him to give us some production. And, you know, there were times throughout games, yeah, he did something stupid, boneheaded, but he gave us a little bit of something. But over the last several weeks, it, it's getting worse. You know, and that was the word that you used, Chip. Um, it, 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 there's, not, there's not much production from him. He played eight minutes. Uh, Decision-making was terrible. Shot selection was terrible. You know, you, 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 at this point, even I'm on board of we, we got to do something else. It's, is he still in the rotation? At this point, if, you, if you're not contributing at this point, these, obviously these are the games you have to have. Like your, your, your life is on the line here. And I think it's very, very crucial how Tibbs goes about this. Uh, and if you ask me, shake it up. I don't know if I'm starting out for, for game two. I, I just I, – I've seen it enough at this point he's really struggling yeah he's had moments this year where he's bounced back right when things have gotten bad and then he's gone out there and done something well but it's not consistent enough and right now at this point you have to be consistent uh so chip why don't you touch a little bit on that uh, what you what some of your thoughts on you know this alfred payton thing here for uh game two because i know you tweeted out a list of several people uh, by halftime, that you rather have seen started in the second half of point guard. Yeah, you were, say, you were on that. I was on that list, and I am a six foot five point guard. I, I, <laughs> I played point guard uh, in my competitive days here. So, and I started. I, I mean, you know, so I, I I can say I'm up for the task. I'm How do you think you do against Trey Young? Uh, I'll just foul the crap out of him. <laughs> he drives to the basket. I'm tackling him. So you know what? If he's you know what? If he's gonna get a damn foul called. Oh, I'm going to earn that. He's going to earn it. I'm, gonna, I, I'm just going to fucking tackle him. I mean, I, I, he's going to feel it because he's going to get to the up, line anyway. You dress up like a bird, he'll just run away 
scared, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to see those fans dressed up like birds. That's good. That is good. Oh. That's good. But, you know, it's in all seriousness, uh, you know, what do you think? Who, who, who should it be? Who, who should be starting over Alfred Payton? And is he out of the rotation altogether at this point? He's been in it all year. Do you shake something up that big? Yeah, what do it's, you a, do? it's a bizarre situation because he's been the starting point guard all year on a team that won 40 games and is the fourth mm-hmm. seed. But he's been absolutely awful for so mm-hmm. long. And now it just looks like it's a mental thing, that it's gone beyond fans hating him. And it's legitimately, he looks nothing like the actual, to put aside the fan, stupid fan part of my brain. And I will say for a majority of his career, Alfred Payton has been a solid basketball player. He doesn't even look anywhere close to that right now. Like it's become a mental thing with him. So I think you have to obviously bench him if you want to win this series. You can't even give away the eight minutes that you've been giving away when you have him on the court. And look, I understand Rose has been great off the bench. You know, he was finalist for six man of the year, but I'd like to see him in the starting lineup. I understand if Tibbs would rather uh, shift uh, Burks in there. I wouldn't mm-hmm. be opposed to that either. Honestly, I, I Rose really struggled guarding young in game one and it, it would really, it would all depend. It all depends on Trey young what they're doing because they're really whoever they put in there, unless it's Rose, it, it's not really about offense. I, I think he, as long as Julius performs uh, and I think he will in game two, I think he's going to come out and be great. So whoever they put in there, it's going to be about what can they do to slow down Trey young unless they want to switch Bullock or RJ on to Trey Young, but I don't think Tibbs is going to do anything that drastic. I think whoever he brings in will guard Trey Young. Yeah. And I don't know. He trusts Derrick Rose, so I think if it's going to be anyone, I think it'll be Rose. I'd li- I'd like to see him do something a little different, like move in an Alec Burks and do something. Maybe maybe even put like RJ Barrett on Young. I think that would be interesting. But I don't know. I think the most likely thing is he'll move. Rose in there and put Rose on young and maybe try like a few different guys on him too. But yeah, I, I don't know. I just hope I'm crossing my fingers that, uh, that neurons Noel is okay too, man. Cause he's still, yes, que- yeah. he's still questionable for, uh, we're recording this on Tuesday, the games tomorrow. So yeah, neurons Noel, his ankle, I guess is acting up. So I guess we'll know tomorrow if he's okay, but man, if he's, if he's not healthy, I mean, I, I don't know about if Taj can go for 48 right. minutes, obviously. So I don't know what that, what that situation is going to be. If Norvell Pell, I guess, is going to be the, the backup center I think you in that have case. To. Yeah. You, you have to. You have no choice at that yeah. point. And I noticed, you know, if we don't have Noel, I noticed like every time that he's missed a game here and there, Tosh Gibson seems to be in foul trouble because he picks up like three fouls in the first five minutes of the game. So it's Tosh, like, all right, yeah. all right, Tosh, we are really shorthanded. We kind of need you. But uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that Noel plays, and I think he will at this point. You know, everybody's playing hard. Unless if it's severe and you just can't, 
Uh, but everybody's going to be playing through pain at this point. So I do, ex- I, and I have no inside information. So I'm just, if you had to ask me, I bet you he's out there. Now, also with this Peyton thing, I mean, I still think he's going to be in the starting rotation. I do. I don't think Tibbs, Tibbs hasn't changed it all year. So I think he's going to keep it. Now it might be even shorter of a leash uh, of him out there. If they had one game one, I might agree with you. Yeah. But they did lose. So I okay. think that may change his perspective on it, on things. It's possible. It, it, it's, it's possible. That's what I would do. If you're asking me, that's, that's what I would do. But it would be interesting to see what they do there. But as I look at it, and I look at game two for tomorrow, and I look at some of the, the, the keys here, I, it, there's three for me. And number one, right off the bat, you need Julius Randle to play much better than he did in game one. That's the obvious thing. It, it is very obvious. Julius Randle did not play well. It was not efficient. Didn't really seem ever to get into a rhythm throughout this game at all. And yet we were still in it and we had a chance to win. Like I said, every game that we have played against the Hawks this year has been a nail biter. And I think every game in this series will be a nail biter. So we look at Julius Randle struggling as bad as he did game one. If he just hits a few more of those shots, to me, I think we are in a better position to win game two if he's hitting some of those shots. And again, I think part of it all also comes down to those timely buckets that are very important as well. Um, it's not just about shooting a little bit more efficiently. It's also about getting those timely buckets. But I just feel like if he's a little bit better than game one, we should be able to take game two if it's a similar kind of feel down the stretch there. Uh, and then we also need – R.J. Barrett to be a little bit more efficient. It could be that this is their first time in the playoffs, and I know the Hawks have a young team too, um, you know, but they do have some – I think they have a, a more blend of veteran guys in their rotation. Obviously, Lou Williams has been in it. You know, a lot of guys have seen playoff basketball before. The Knicks are very, very limited. I know we have Tosh and we have uh, Derek Rose, um, but it's very limited playoff experience there. And we talked about it already. Julius Randle gets the most improved award. Sometimes, and I don't know if this is the case, but it does happen. Sometimes the emotion and the excitement, you cannot settle in. And maybe that's what happened with Barrett and Randle. Uh, too much emotion, too much excitement, and they could not settle down. Hopefully they get that out of the way. Game one, come out ready to go. And I think we're going to see a much better Julius Randle game too. If I'm making a prediction right now, Chip, I think Julius Randle is going to be cooking on two, uh, on Wednesday night. I, I, I honestly do. Maybe, maybe not early on, but I have a feeling that Julius Randle is going to get it going here in game two. Um, so that's, that's the, the main thing for me. Uh, and then I look at another thing that we have to do. We got to do a better job on Trey Young. We got to do a much better job and make it more difficult for him and make him work harder. And as you just said, we can't let him get into the paint so easily. We can't let him just walk in and get a floater or throw a lob pass to Capella or uh, you know, kick it out to Bogdanovich or Gallinari um, you know, or Collins, you know, a lob pass into Collins. You know, we, we can't do that. We got to make it difficult for him. We got to play uh, – a little bit, and I, and I want to say physical, but at the same time, then I'm afraid the whistles are going to start going off and he's going to get to the free throw line. And 
that, that would be catastrophic for us. So I just look at it as we've got to come up with a scheme to, to defend the, the pick and roll much better and, and keep him outside the lane and make him shoot the basketball. As you showed or as you shared, he's 33.5% pulling up and shooting from three. That's not a high percentage. That's the shot that you've got to live with and give him. Um, you know, he's going to get his points. He's going to score, no doubt about that. But we got to make him work harder. Uh, it's just, you know, if you, you, it could be one of those things where if you also can shut down others and Trey Young kind of has, you know, a night, you still might be okay. But I just felt like it was too easy at times for Trey Young in game one. It, it can't be that easy. It just, it just can't. So, and then, uh, you know, the third point is – Again, we kind of touched on it, so I'm not going to go much into it here, but I do think that the rotation needs to be tweaked a little bit here. Uh, and maybe Alfred Payton is not starting in this game. And uh, if you still give him minutes, you know, I know he can be a good solid on-ball defender, but, you know, you, you, you're fighting for your life at this point. And I think the coaching staff has to get that rotation right. And they got to figure out something that works for them in this series because it's so tight. It's going to be down the wire, a mistake costs you. And that doesn't mean just from on the court. That can be from a rotational standpoint from your coaching staff. You have to be spot on if you're going to win game two. And I, and I say this, Chip, we can't go to Atlanta down 2-0. You need game two. And I know that's very obvious. Um, but, you know, you got some teams that can go down 2-0 in a series and still be okay, right? Like – I, and and I, I, this team has been great. They've been special. I don't feel that way, though, with this team. If you go down 2-0, I'm going to feel like we're in a world of trouble. Uh, we we got to find a way to have game two. I think the biggest thing is if Julius Randle comes out and plays big, and we need him. We, we need our, our, our star to, to shine in this one. Um, and we also need Rose to continue doing what he's doing and Burks to hit his timely shots and become Mr. Fourth Quarter some more because it's going to be down the wire. So uh, those, those are kind of my thoughts here for game for game two and how I feel like the Knicks could win it. Uh, and now I'll turn it over to you, Chip. What are your thoughts? What are you thinking? What are some of your keys here for game two uh, for the Knicks to even up the series 1-1? I agree with everything you said. I also think it's important that they get Reggie Bullock going early in the next game. Maybe run like a, a play for him probably like right away. Because he went over five from yes. three in the first game, and I don't think he even played in the fourth quarter. Yeah, right. which obviously Burks was going off, and he only played nineteen minutes. Didn't even play twenty minutes in the game before last night. He closed out the regular season. He made a three in twenty-five straight games. He was red hot right. during that stretch. He was forty-three percent from three-point range. He was one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA. You know, he was killing it. And so to come in in the first game of the playoffs and not shoot the ball well probably wasn't a, a good <laughs> – it definitely wasn't a good uh, moment for him. I'm sure he was hoping to continue what he was on. So I think it would be – I think it would be smart to get the ball in his hands right away and, you know, maybe find him in the corner for an easy one. It just get him going. You, if if they want to win this series, they're not going to be able to win if Reggie Bullock keeps having bad games. They need him right. to be shooting the ball well. 
You know, and and he's one of the guys that helped us have success this season, you know, hitting some three-pointers. And, and, yeah, you know, I felt like his mid-range game, he was good. Like, if he had a closeout hard and he was able to take that dribble by him, that, he hit that shot. So, you know, he did something, but that three-ball look, he got several wide-open looks that he could not get it to, to fall in. Um, that's obviously, again, a difference in this game. So, you know, I'll say this, you know, all the trash talk between, you know, the, Trey Young after the game, you know, uh, the TNT interview he had there, um, didn't, I didn't like it. I mean, I'm a competitor. So um, um, I, I think the Knicks are well aware of what was said. There's been uh, some trolling Reggie going on. Reggie Bullock is well aware of what was said. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was uh, some trolling going on by their Twitter account, some things, you know, and you expect that. It's that time where, you know, it's just that time, right? You know, it, it's game on. And I I don't I, – my gut feeling, Chip, I don't think there's going to be a blowout, like I've said already in this series. But I expect this Nick team to come out with a lot of fire on tomorrow. Yeah. I, I, I think really this do. could go seven, this series. This, oh, yeah. Like we said, these two teams are really ev- evenly matched. I mean, they had the same record. The <laughs> same home record, same away record. Right. These teams are really evenly matched. Right. And, and, you know, I joke with the Knicks in five thing. So, I mean, my prediction yeah. is still looking pretty good right now. At least. But, <laughs> you know, in all seriousness, going into this, I looked at it as a, a series that would not shock me to go to six, seven games. Mm. Um, and I just I, – I don't know. that it, it rubbed me the wrong way. It's been rubbing me the wrong way of the national coverage of this series, of just hearing about how the Hawks are so much better than us. Uh, it, it's – it's oh, I wish I can strap up and play. I, I, but I mean, if I'm like that, I know this Nick team is, and I, I just don't normally say it, uh, because again, we don't do certain things well enough. We can very much, well, once again, be on the losing end here. But my gut is is feeling pretty good about game two. Uh, I'm not guaranteeing anything. Um, I, I think this series will be just too tight for that, but. I just – I have a gut feeling that Randall's going to be on and, and that this team's going to come out a little bit faster than they did in game one. I think they're settled into it. I think it's game on. Uh, and I think everybody that gets a chance on Trey Young is going to work extremely hard to try to make his life a living hell tomorrow night. So that's all I got, Chip. you have any closing remarks here as we wrap this one up? I agree with everything you just said. I agree – Everything and fuck Trey Young. That's that's I'll, right. That's my closing yep. closing remarks. <laughs> there's nothing else that needs to be said. We'll be back with another episode of the Next State of Mind podcast pretty soon. So we'll see you next time. <laughs>